0: Welcome to the Martech
2: Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to best leverage your workforce as a marketing channel. Joining us is Jonathan Baldock, who is an advisor to Social HP, which is a next generation employee advocacy platform, enabling companies to drive talent marketing and sales success through a trusted evergreen marketing channel. And today, Jonathan and I are going to discuss the challenges of employee advocacy in marketing programs. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Jonathan Baldock, advisor at Social HP. Jonathan, welcome to the MarTech podcast.
1: Thanks, appreciate having me on, Ben.
2: Excited to have you here. Excited to uh, talk a little bit about how making the people that best understand our business active marketers. First off, let's start at the top for anybody who isn't familiar with it. Talk to me a little bit about how you think about defining what employee advocacy is.
1: Fair enough. Employee advocacy is really about enabling your employees to share the voice of the company. So you typically hire great people. You want them saying great things about your company. Usually they don't know where to find that information. So employee advocacy platform or employee advocacy program typically correlates all of that goodness into one place. So that way they can share things like thought leadership, industry news, and company content.
2: So I've mentioned this all the time, but back in the day, I used to work at eBay. It was the largest company that I worked for, 13,000 people when I was there. When you include the data centers and the contractors and the Skype team and the PayPal team, it was a really big organization at the time. It's smaller now. And everything that went out that was publicly facing was vetted by the PR team. There was a comms team that would control the eBay Twitter account back when Twitter was first starting but you didn't get a lot of employees actively marketing for the organization. It was really sort of guided by the company. So there was a clear sense of voice and tone. The mind shift of large companies seems to have changed where they're basically giving the keys to the cars, to their employees. Talk to me about how you make sense of controlling the narrative as an organization and also letting your employees start to promote your company.
1: Partially, it depends on the industry you're in. So if you're in a regulated industry, you actually are reluctantly giving the keys to those employees. And you definitely want everything that your employees are saying to be vetted. You also want them to be adhering to the appropriate guidelines and regulatory requirements. Outside of that, most companies do want their employees to share their voice. And if you give guidelines to the employees, typically they want to act on behalf of the company. They want some shine for themselves around their own personal brand. So the combination of the two is really powerful because... I can give you an example, a small company, let's say they have 50 employees. And we think about a platform like LinkedIn, small company with 50 employees might have 800 to 1,000 followers. That includes the 50 employees that work there. So if you do a company page update, you're gonna reach 800 to 1,000 people.
2: You're probably reaching the 50 employees and maybe one or two other people that follow the organization.
1: Right. Yeah. So all the people that are following it, will go in their newsfeed, whether they click on it, read it, that's another story. Mm -hmm. But at least the reach is somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1,000, as LinkedIn would define it. Then beyond that, the average person on LinkedIn has 800 connections, the average member. So if you get 50 employees to share the same story, their reach mathematically is 40,000 people. So when you think about how do I reach 40,000 people another way, typically it's by a paid campaign. And they're very powerful, they're very targeted, and they're very successful, especially on platforms like LinkedIn, but they're also costly. And you also have to get to the point really quickly when you've got a paid campaign. So sharing messages through the employees is really driving a different direction.
2: So there's a couple of trends that are important here. One, you're taking advantage of the power of each individual employee's reach, their social network. There's also the idea that we're moving more towards a focus as marketers on micro-influencers as opposed to the macro-influencers. It's better to have 10,000, 1,000 follower people than one Kim Kardashian because there's just more trust and authority with people that you actually have a more intimate, direct connection with as opposed to a celebrity you follow. So I understand the math behind it, but there's also some challenges that come with employee advocacy programs. Talk to me about some of the challenges that organizations face when it comes to starting, vetting, and controlling employee advocacy programs.
1: The first few I would say, one is how do I get buy-in from executive leadership? Typically, you want to be able to measure ROI on the back end. And so there's a challenge with that because a lot of the mathematical things that you would be measuring are soft. And so it's hard to say, we attributed this much sales or this many hires or these activities specifically. So that can be a challenge. And that's a hurdle that one has to come across. Then you've got to decide who would run this kind of a platform, where they're going to vet and get that information from that employees can share. And then also, how do we convince the employees that they should want to sign up to actually sign up and three, participate and participation is actually the hardest one in this entire equation. So I'm going to flip that around a little.
2: You know, what I'm hearing from you is first, you probably want a platform to actually manage your employee advocacy. Second, you need the organization, the individual contributors to buy in and want to post that content. Then you have to be able to evaluate whether it's effective or not. One thing that I didn't hear you talking about was monitoring and sort of vetting what the employees are saying. I'm assuming that's built into most platforms. Talk to me about what the employee advocacy platforms. Obviously, social HP is one of them. You know, we've interviewed a couple of other employee advocacy companies on this podcast. Talk to me about what the platforms are for and what's the difference between them.
1: So, and just to give you a bit of background, I actually worked for LinkedIn for close to 10 years. And my final four and a half were on LinkedIn's advocacy platform, which was called LinkedIn Elevate, which has since sunset. And in my experience at LinkedIn, the challenge with these platforms was usage partially due to the fact that it was, how do you get the right content to the employees? So that's what these platforms are typically designed to do. It pulls in you know, industry news, company content, thought leadership, and then it's aligning that content so that it's very relevant for each employee. So that way they're not seeing things that they don't want to share. That's the perfect recipe. And then the latter portion, which was the biggest challenge that I experienced at LinkedIn was actually around getting employees to actually sign in and use it one thing to get them to raise their hand. It's another thing to get them to keep coming back and doing it over and over again. And we found that the overall average was 20% usage. I've seen that across the competitive sphere as well. When I was at LinkedIn, we had a good understanding of what the competitors had and what they were doing. So finding a platform that can help you manage the usage is in my recommendation, in my eyes, the most important thing. Like if all others are equal, this would be the biggest determining factor.
2: So let's do the math there for a second. Before, you said there's a 50-person company and they've got a reach of 1,000 when they post their company page. And if they have 50 employees, all of which have 800 followers, they're going to have a reach of 40,000.
1: If they all shared it. Correct.
2: If 100% of them shared it. But realistically, we're saying that 20% of that 40,000 is going to happen. And let me do the math. That's 8,000 people so even if you are using employee advocacy program with a twenty percent employee usage rate, you're still basically eight to ten Xing what your reach would be for your social posts.
1: Correct. Which is why when I was at LinkedIn, it was still very successful because it was still driving tons of value and they were getting a lot of ROI. A
2: special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. So talk to me about how you evaluate some of those metrics. You mentioned before, hey, you need executive buy-in to figure out whether the employee advocacy program is working, how it's working. What are some of the KPIs that you think about when you're evaluating an employee advocacy program?
1: There are some that are universal, depending on the thing that you're trying to measure at the end, whether it's a marketing, sales, talent acquisition, or even brand reputation use case. And those would be reach number of clicks, things like likes, comments, et cetera. And then beyond that, when I was at LinkedIn, we had a whole wealth of additional information because we had all the metrics on our platform. So we would be able to tell like what industries people were coming from, what level they were coming from, et cetera, et cetera. And we would tie into their applicant tracking system. So we could say, for example, if it was talent, we'd be able to say how many job views, job clicks and apply clicks you got. And then they would have to tell us at the opposite end, you know, how many hires they made. And if it was a sales use case, we'd pretty much cross our fingers and say, here are the companies where people were coming from. Did you close any deals? Did you put anything into like closed one in Salesforce? And then in turn, hopefully they would share that information back with us. And then we'd say, okay, great. You had this many likes, comments, and reshares from people at senior levels or decision-making positions from those companies. You have now told us that you've closed deals at those companies. So we think this played a role.
2: It seems like there'd be... The ability to use sort of standard web tracking when you're posting content through the social media platforms using employee advocacy, where you're creating a centralized archive where employees can go and grab the content, or maybe you're just pushing it out to them saying, hey, you share this piece of content, but there can be a linking structure in there, whether it's UTM codes or whatever variables you're including in what you're sharing that say not only was this piece of content shared through the employee advocacy program, but who it was shared by. And then you should be able to capture the conversions, assuming you have some web conversions using just your standard tracking. So it seems like this is a channel that should have pretty good attribution. You mentioned that it was one of the biggest challenges. Help me connect the dots. Why is this more complicated than what I'm thinking, which is, hey, this tweet was amended with a couple of UTM parameters, as opposed to, I got to figure out whether people are sharing and how that content's being received.
1: So absolutely, UTM codes are standard practice. You want to be able to measure all of that. What happens when somebody clicks on your share and then where do they go from there next? And if they go to your website, what pages are they on? How long did they spend, et cetera? This is certainly part of that story that you want to be able to bring that visibility from top of the funnel as they work through the sales funnel. And it is available and all platforms can deliver that. The challenge becomes, can you recognize it when you close a deal in your CRM tool? That's the hard part.
2: Yeah, so this really becomes an exercise of connecting the dots, not necessarily just through your web conversions, right? I, somebody clicked on this link, they got to this page, what were their behaviors on the website, and more understanding what they did potentially in an offline scenario. Did that person get into the room to interview? Did they accept the sales calls? So it seems like it becomes a CRM or that second level of tracking that other system outside of the web that becomes the problem. You mentioned you worked at LinkedIn and you had sort of understanding of the background and all this other information. Can you help me create some benchmarks? What do you think are some averages when you're sharing a social post through an employee advocacy program? You mentioned 20% of the employees will share it. Do the click-through rates increase? Are you seeing higher throughput? Do they lead to higher sales volume? How do I think about this channel as opposed to my paid channels or some of my other organic options?
1: Sure. So, First, employees are twice as trusted on the LinkedIn platform. I can't comment on other platforms other than I would expect that they would be similar. So statistically, if you have the same reach between a corporate channel and through employees, you're going to drive twice as many engagements. And like you said, the micro-influencer that has that connection, they're more likely to receive that positive affirmation. So the likelihood of driving people into the top of the awareness or the sales funnel is increased. That's note one. Second would be the thought around... So there's two, I guess. One is on LinkedIn, again, people that are involved in social selling activities are 70% more likely to hit their sales quota. We've gotten that data through a variety of factors. One is they have a social selling index. So they'll evaluate the behaviors of people on the platform. Those that are more engaged, meaning that they're connecting, they're sending in mails, they're sharing content, that's social selling behavior as well as utilizing tools like, say, Sales Navigator, when they include all of that activity, they increase their social selling index. And then second, we get information back from companies over time saying, these are the people that have been utilizing these tools, and they are definitely hitting their quota more often. I can't cite specific clients, but those are definitely anecdotal examples. And that's the data that we were always presented. But beyond that, when you've got a salesperson or a marketing person sharing something and you've got a like comment or a reshare, those are publicly facing actions as well. So me as an individual, if I share that, I can see who in my network has engaged and I can see who in their network has engaged once they've done it.
2: So the last question I have for you, and I, I mentioned sort of the eBay example of it used to be the PR team is responsible for everything that was public facing. And now it's not. Now it's every employee's discretion. And when you're working in a large organization, you're likely to have some pissed off employees. It's just the nature of the game. So how do you vet and monitor what the employees are saying and making sure that they're not taking your posts and saying, this post is all bullshit. I don't trust this company anymore. You know, spreading something that would be potentially negative because of what might be happening behind the scenes.
1: So a couple things. One is you do have the ability to edit and delete posts.
2: But you can't edit and delete posts on a private person's LinkedIn feed.
1: You can through some tools. You can't edit, but you can delete if you have access. But I will say beyond that, it's risky for that employee to do it because that's publicly facing activity. And so they're putting their career in jeopardy when they take that kind of action. When I was at LinkedIn, it was extremely rare to see a current employee take any of that kind of action. So it would be more common, although extremely rare, to see someone that was already gone from the organization that was disgruntled that has now made a comment. And of course, they don't have access to being able to post company content. They can only comment on it after the fact.
2: Okay, so it's a rare occasion where you're having a disgruntled, hey, I didn't get that promotion. I'm going to trash the company public because they you know want to hold on to their salary. That makes sense. On the flip side, they can post other content that is non-company related Somebody takes an aggressive political stand. Someone just promotes sensitive content. They forget that they're publicly quoting and they think that they're putting their messages. I can only think about Draymond Green from the Golden State Warriors (laughs) accidentally posting a photo of his naughty bits, thinking that he was sending it as a DM, not a public message on Snapchat. How do you avoid the accidental post or the something that requires a little more discretion?
1: three things. One is good guidelines that are sent out to all the employees just to say, hey, here's what we're expecting. And please try and adhere to these. And usually companies have employees sign off on their social sharing policies. Second is most companies have a hashtag. So when they're sharing content on behalf of the company, they'll use the company hashtag. So like hashtag my company. And then that's saying this is a company post that I'm sharing on behalf of the organization, which separates out their personal and corporate posts. And then lastly, most employees do want to share things that are approved. So utilizing a platform or a centralized tool where anything within that tool I can share and I'm okay, gives me permission to be able to take that step. It's actually intimidating for a lot of employees in many organizations because they're not social media marketing managers, they're not content experts, and they're certainly not copywriters. So that step of picking content and knowing what to say is a bit scary. So most just avoid it.
2: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the secret here to not having the bad employee posting things that you don't want or somebody accidentally posting something that they shouldn't or just confidently posting what they should there's a hiring question. Hire the right people, people with good judgment, people that are detail oriented, and your employee advocacy program will likely shine. And that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Jonathan Baldock, advisor of Social HP, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Jonathan and I are going to talk about how employee advocacy is changing as a marketing channel. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Jonathan, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact his company on Twitter. Its handle is socialhp, that's S-O-C-I-A-L-H-P. Or you could visit the company website, which is socialhp.com. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J.